Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. As you're grabbing a seat this morning, I just want to highlight a couple of things that are going on around here. Um, one of the first things I want to mention is our B4 Basics class that happens every single month. Thank you, TJ. Uh, happens every single month, and it is, uh, it's just an opportunity if you're new around here, if you've just recently joined us, or maybe you've been gone for a while and you've come back and you've got questions about what we're doing or where to get plugged in or like who you should know about certain things. Um, our B4 Basic class happens every month and it's actually today at 12.15, there's lunch provided uh, and you can check that out after the service today. You can get more information at our info center. The other thing that I wanna mention is uh, our marriage ministry. Uh, Debbie Mills, Debbie and Bill Mills, but Debbie is our, is our, um, our marriage pastor here and um, she just does so much. She does so much with families that are merging together, blended families, she, they do so much uh, her and Bill with their team, with folks that are getting married, that are engaged. Uh, they have all sorts of different opportunities for folks who just need kind of a tune-up on their marriage or somebody to talk with about marriage stuff. And so every now and then I just want to pause and say, would you just, if, you, if you're married or going to get married or you're like struggling with your marriage, anything, we just want to be there for you uh, during those seasons. And so I just want to highlight that, let you know about that. You can always email her here at the church. You can check out our website or stop at the info center for that. Um, the other thing I want to mention is this. Uh, when you came in today, you've got this card that was handed to you, and it sort of marks the beginning of a unique season here at B4. In fact, one of the things that makes our church really unique is that the four weeks of Advent, uh, we focus our giving, any designated giving that's given, uh, towards projects that we do locally and globally. So we fund a budget every year based on the gifts that you say, we want to give this above and beyond our normal giving, we want to give this to these projects. And so we collected an offering these four weeks, and then that's how we do all sorts of things uh, around, around the world and also locally, the ways that we serve. This card that you got when you came in today just has some highlights. It's not exhaustive or extensive. It doesn't have everything on here, but there's some local stuff that we support and there's some global highlights from this last year, things that we've been a, a part of. But I'm going to invite Fabi Colmenares up with me. And uh, yeah, look at that. Fabi, you got cheers this morning. So Fabi, actually, it's good to have Fabi back. She was, you were stuck in Venezuela for how long? Five months. Yeah, five months. She went back to renew, like, her documents and credentials, and she got hung up there with bureaucracy. And so uh, she's back with us uh, just a few weeks ago, three weeks ago? Three weeks yeah, ago, yeah. Yeah, she's back with us. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about refugees. Um, each week for the course of the Advent season, we're going to talk about different things that we're emphasizing. And this week, I want to talk about refugees. And let me just say this before I ask Fabi any questions. When you look at the New Testament, there are some things that are really clear about what we're supposed to do as Jesus followers. And one of those things is to care for foreigners, to care for refugees or sojourners, as they're often referred to, folks that are living in a land that is not their own. And uh, I was remind, reminded this morning, I was driving here, and I just had that little reminder that Jesus himself started his life as a refugee. Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt. They lived as refugees. And we're called to care in that capacity. And so I want Fabi to share a little bit, just some of the organizations that we're partnering with and working with these days kind of in our community with refugees. Yeah, so we partner with several organizations that are doing an excellent job caring and loving the refugees in our community. So we work with PDX Friends of Refugee, uh, Portland Refugee Support Group, Refugee Collective, and we help with food boxes, um, ESL classes. We have ESL classes here on our campus three times a week and other things like that. We just want to support the amazing job they are already doing. Yeah, you just mentioned um, the ESL classes. 
So kind of a fun story that emerged out of, the, we have these ESL classes. Most folks that are coming to them are from the Middle East. They're yes. from Afghanistan, from Iraq. Uh, that's the majority of the families mm -hmm. that are coming. And most of them coming from uh, Muslim backgrounds. Yes. But a kind of an interesting story emerged this week. Will you just share it with everybody? Yeah. So they've been coming to our campus since September. And as the adults take their ESL classes, we also provide child care. So in one of the classrooms, there were two boys that um, were looking at the Bibles we have because they take their classes in the um, East Building. So they wanted to take the Bibles home. And we said, sure, you can take them. And one of the volunteers was actually a little concerned because she was like, oh, were the parents going to say, actually the dad, when the kids show up home with two Bibles? So that afternoon, she went to visit them, and she found the kids reading the Bible. Well, and then she said, hey, I can read you the stories. And by the end of the night, the whole family was gathering while she was reading them the Bible stories. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, it's one of the things that we've kind of said, we, we want to receive refugees and just watch what happens over even generations as they realize the folks that loved them as they landed in our country are, is the church of Jesus. The Jesus's church are the people that reached out and already just to see some of those seeds being planted. Talk to us a little bit about the, the year ahead and what we hope to see happen in the days to come. Yeah, we want to see more of those stories. We want to hear more of those stories, how people just feel loved and welcomed by us Christians, right? And we have a family of eight that's going to move into one of the church's house this week. And they're from Afghanistan. And we're hoping that we will get more families uh, this coming year. So we were... We're going to need help, like, uh, providing them with uh, stuff, like furniture or food or all kinds of stuff. So we just want to love them so well and welcome them and make a difference in their lives. So uh, we're hoping for many, many more stories like the one I just told you. Yeah. I, I love, you know, so we own a couple of houses that are on the perimeter of our property. And we've got one that has just, it's, a, it's sitting, waiting for one of these families. And I think one of the exciting things also for me is just hearing about a couple of guys here in our church who said, we want to be liaisons and we want to be the folks that are just there for that family to go back and forth and kind of help them navigate this. What do you guys call them? Cultural navigators. navigators. I picked the right word. That's rare that I actually picked the right <laughs> word. But so they're just operating as cultural navigators to help them uh, transition to this country. And so there's just really cool things. We share all this because this is who we are as a church. Um, yeah. We have this beautiful reputation in our city. Um, I'm going to kind of go uh, just I'm going to go sideways for a moment. I'm just going to tell you guys a, a crazy story that I heard. I didn't say this in the first service, so you guys are getting a special story right now. Oh. <laughs> uh, about, a, about a year and a half ago, I heard the story of, of an atheist woman who was actually touring somebody around Beaverton. Mm -hmm. And she was showing them, they had moved to the area, and she was showing them around, and they drove past B4. Mm -hmm. And she pointed to the church and she said, hey, you guys know I'm an atheist, but if I was going to go to church somewhere, it'd be this place. And they said, why? And she said, because of what they do in this city and their reputation for caring for people and loving, for our, loving our community is so profound. Um, that's who we are to our city. Yeah. So we want this time over the next four weeks to be a time of reflection, a time to just consider what we want to do. I know for Sherry and I, we're going to have a conversation like, what does the Lord want us to give to these kinds of projects for the next year? I encourage you to do the same. Our, our team has put together a little video that sort of captures what we do in our area, what we do just as a community, what we're about. And 
I just want to let you watch this and just take this next couple of minutes to reflect and to pray and just to consider like what maybe God's putting on your heart to give above and beyond normal stuff to help projects like this. So why don't you sit back and watch this and then we'll talk about it just a little bit more. Open spaces. They beckon us with their promise. Speaking of possibilities yet unseen. So we go to work. But first we pray. Asking for wisdom, strength, and the resources we need. And we pray for those who will benefit from our efforts, wherever they may be. We don't need much to start. A few seeds or a sapling will do, because the fruits of our labor rest with the one who calls us to do it. He sends us to open spaces nearby, in Beaverton, Hillsboro, or Portland. Places where we're invited to love our city, to feed the hungry, and help homeless students. Sometimes he sends us farther away to places like the South Pacific, where he told us, go and help my people, find a village, dig a well, and plant a church. So we take what God provides, the tools and resources he gives us, and we go. doesn't matter where he sends us, not really. What matters is that we do this. What matters is that together, we belong to something God is doing. Even if it seems small and unimpressive at first. Much like a kingdom that had a humble beginning was carefully tended and eventually grew. So as I mentioned, um, I just want you to consider, you know, is there something that God's put on your heart during this season to be generous in a, in a unique way? Um, on the card that you got when you came in today, and if you're watching online, we'll put this little thing up here. None of us knew what this thing was until we tried dining out during a pandemic. And now we know what a QR code is. The guy that invented the QR code, by the way, he is so excited these days. He's like, finally, there's a reason for its existence. Um, but you can scan that if you want to give online, you can give using that. Um, you can also give in our offering. I'm going to invite the ushers to receive the offering this morning. So if you brought that with you, or if you already know that you want to give to some of these things, I encourage you to drop that in. Put a note that it's for B4 Advent. And so then we'll designate those funds towards that. But I just want to encourage you over the next few weeks, just think about what God might have you give. And, uh, and then we're going to see some really beautiful, good things happen in the year to come. Sound good? Yeah, okay. All right, that was, that was really encouraging. So like two of you, sounds good to two of you. That's good. I think, I think if I'm being exaggerating if I, if I say two of us. Hey, so today we're going to start a new series uh, and, and we're kicking off the Advent season by doing something that I think is really important during this particular season, but it's actually something that's going to extend even farther. 
Uh, we're starting a new series, and the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at the human interactions of Jesus. Uh, we want to take some time and just look at the times when Jesus just had conversations with different people and what those conversations were about. We want to get to know Jesus more during this next season, and I think there's a really good reason for it. Uh, over the past few decades, there's been a real shift, and some of us have like lived mostly in those decades. Some of us have just witnessed that um, because it's a part of our lifespan. But there's a shift that's taken place. It's really well documented. It's been well cataloged that there is a shift in the developed world of people when they talk about faith. They no longer use terms that sound religious. Instead, they talk about spirituality. Uh, so maybe you've heard somebody say something like this. You've heard someone say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Or I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That is a well-documented shift that has taken place. That people are now saying, listen, I'm searching for spiritual truth, but I don't actually expect to find it in religious institutions. I don't expect to find it in, um, in traditional religious teachings. So people all over the world, they, they might be interested in the supernatural. They might be aware that there is something of the eternal, the ha'olam, as we described in our Ecclesiastes series. Um, but they will not go back and consider the oppressive or, or stifling or judgmental religion of the past. So we're interested in spiritual things, but we are turned off by moralism or religiosity. Uh, and that's, that's a norm across most cultures today. So because of that... We have this new spirituality that's sort of emerged in our culture over the last couple of decades, in which um, now, here's an example, instead of offering people our prayers, we offer people our thoughts, because prayers sound too religious, but I can give you my thoughts, and so my thoughts are with you. It's an example of the new spirituality. I'm thinking about you, like there's some sort of power in thinking about you, right? Um, so it's very personal, it's very individual, it's very much embedded in finding one's own identity, but here, here's the interesting thing. Um, in the passage that we're about to read and how we're starting this new series, we are going to discover an invitation. And this is not an invitation to the new spirituality of our age, but it's also not an invitation to the old religiosity of the past. What we see and what we're going to see in the person of Jesus is a completely different invitation. It's completely different than that old religiosity, and it's completely different than this new spirituality. It's not some vague sense or feeling of, of spiritual well-being, nor is it a new set of rules that we all have to jump through to make God happy. It's an encounter. It's a relationship with a living person. So with that, I want you to open your Bibles to John chapter 1. John's the, the fourth gospel in the New Testament. John chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 35. I'm going to read it all through, and then we'll begin to talk about it and unpack this together. So it says this. It says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, and when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what we have here is an introduction or an invitation to an entirely new kind of spirituality. And it's a spirituality that is, that is offered to us through the person of Jesus. And I just want to note that the structure or the way in this is recorded is incredibly informative for us. It actually tells us something about how we experience this new, new reality or how we actually step into this invitation that's being offered to us by Jesus. Uh, the, the, the writing, the writer of this, the structure in which it's recording, it's not just stating facts and trying to give us the details of a historical moment. He's actually showing us a pattern. He's showing us a pathway or a way in which we encounter this invitation. And what we see here in this pattern speaks to every one of us in the room. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter whether or not you are just exploring spirituality and Jesus or whether you have been walking with Jesus for decades. There are things here that we discover. There are things here that are being taught to us that apply no matter who we are. See, what this passage is presenting is something that bridges between the old the lifeless, the dogmatic, the rigid moralism of, of the past, and the vague, ambiguous, foggy, new spirituality that we've moved to these days. We're offered something in between these two. We're offered something that's concrete, but we're also being offered something that is new and something that is refreshing and something that is life-giving. It is completely different than those other two options. And all of it centers on one repeated phrase that we see a couple of times in this passage. It's the idea of come and see. Come and see. Jesus' invitation in this passage is for you to come and see. Now, why is this significant? Why, why is this important? What does this mean? Well, let me just show you this. Um, this statement, when Jesus says, come and see, we need to understand that what Jesus is giving is an invitation to examine. He's giving us an invitation to, to actually think. You might, be, you might hear Jesus saying to you, come and reason, come and think, come and make observations and draw conclusions from those observations. So to fully understand it, we have to understand that he's inviting us to examine the evidence. So, so let's go back in the passage and we see the first come and see that's mentioned here. We see this. Um, the first disciples that followed Jesus were originally disciples of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist had come and he was preaching about the kingdom that was to come. And he was, people were gathering around him. They were listening to this message about what was going to be in the days ahead. 
And so it's in this context that Jesus shows up on the scene. John the Baptist, being who he is, identifies Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God. In other words, you guys think I'm great. You guys think I'm interesting. You like my teaching. But everything I'm doing is pointing to this guy. So these disciples, basically what they're hearing is, we thought John the Baptist was important. We thought he was significant. But this guy actually says this other person is the most significant person. He's who we're pointing to. And so they choose to follow him. John basically is saying, don't follow me, follow him. And so they do. They literally start to physically follow Jesus. And Jesus sees them following him. And he turns around and he says, what do you want? (laughs) Why are you following me, right? Here's what's interesting. What those disciples wanted is what I think every single one of us wants. They want to know if this is true. Is this true? Is this thing that I've been told about Jesus, is it true? For most of us in the room and for some others, somebody at some point has told us that Jesus is a certain person. And the question we wrestle with is, is that actually true? And I love the way that Jesus responds. In fact, this says so much about who Jesus is, and I think it actually informs, um, for those of us that are committed Jesus followers, I think this actually informs how we should respond to these kinds of situations as well. But I want you to think about this. When these guys say, is it true? Are you who they say you are? Jesus doesn't get incredulous because they had the audacity to ask. "There's there's There's no hint of how dare you question me. There's no hint of, there's no demanding that they believe. Like, you have to believe this and you have to believe it now. Like, how dare you, how dare you come with this sort of question in your hearts? Jesus, they ask him the question. He simply says to them, come, come and see. You want to know who I am? You're curious about my identity? You've been told something about what this Jesus person is all about? He just says, well, then make observations. Why don't you come see for yourself? See what I do. See how I live. See how I love. See for yourself and make an assessment. That's the first time we see this phrase, come and see. It's Jesus inviting them to do this. Then the second time is when Philip goes to his friend Nathaniel and tells him, we found the Messiah. Like we hung out with him. This is the guy we saw. We've made an assessment of who he is. And this is where it gets really interesting. Um, I respect Nathaniel. Let me just pause and say this. I, I respect Nathaniel because Nathaniel comes back with a very difficult and a very valid question for his friends. First, there's this stereotype against the city of Nazareth, right? We all know there's certain towns that I won't identify any for fear that maybe one of you is from there. But there are towns around our nation that you identify as being like the armpit of America, right? Something like that. Well, Nazareth wasn't a a, a well-appreciated place. And then second, every average Hebrew student knew that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And if you came from the line of David, remember this is in a time when people didn't leave regions, families stayed where they were put. It meant that the Messiah was going to be coming from Bethlehem. And so he asks, what good thing could possibly come from Nazareth? How does Philip respond? Is he incredulous? Is he angry? How dare you question? We just told you the identity of Jesus. We just said this is who he is, and you have the audacity to question us. Is he offended? Is he he upset? No, he just looks and says, well, you don't believe me? Come and see. Come and take a look for yourself. 
This is so helpful no matter who you are. Uh, some of you, um, you may be modern-day Nathaniels. And maybe it's not this question. Maybe it's not the question of who is Jesus. But maybe there's other questions you just sincerely ask. Like someone talks about Christianity and there's a party that's like, Christianity, like, maybe you wrestle with things like this. How could there be a loving, merciful God when the world is full of injustice? Or how could there be a loving God when there's so much pain and heartache in the world? We ask those kinds, some of us ask those kinds of questions. And when you ask those kinds of questions, when you wrestle around faith issues, what does Jesus say to you? Does Jesus get upset? Does he get angry? Does he get defensive? By the way, let's not talk about what Christians say to you when you ask those questions, because Christians often get this wrong. The question is, what does Jesus say to you when you wrestle with those things? Well, let me tell you what he doesn't say. He doesn't say what the new spirituality says. He doesn't say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as it feels good and works for you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't tell you that there's no critical thinking involved. He never says, well, it's just all about feelings. It's all about fuzzies. It's all about you feeling a certain way. He doesn't do that. But he also doesn't do what traditional religion says. He doesn't say, how dare you question me? Don't question me. How could, you, how could you possibly come to me with those kinds of things? He doesn't do that. What Jesus says is this. Come. Come see. Think. Examine the evidence. Draw conclusions for yourself. He, he doesn't berate you. He invites you to examine don't take my word for it. You look, you observe, and you make an assessment. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way he operates. So the question then that naturally emerges from that is, well, then how do we do that? If Jesus is inviting us to come and see, well, then how do I come and see? And, and, and that's pretty challenging when you're just going to be honest about being modern people that live a couple centuries away from this incident. Um, it's very difficult. It turns out Jesus doesn't pastor a church in Tigard where you can just go listen to his sermons and go, yeah, I think I like him, right? He's not mowing his lawn in Hillsboro this weekend. You can just stop by and say, hey, can we chat? I want to get to know you a little bit. He's not playing like slow pitch rec softball or anything like that. Like, he's not doing those things. And so the question is, what do we do? How do you and I come and see Jesus? Well, it turns out that the gospel writer, John, is writing to people. When he's writing this document that we're reading today, he was writing to people who were in the exact same situation that we're in. They're in the exact same boat. It doesn't matter if you were in the first century or if you're living in the 21st century. If you weren't there, you weren't there. And John is writing to people who weren't there. Which is why this next detail is really critical for our understanding if you go back through the first chapter of John, and actually you'll see this through the entire book of John, but even what we just read, we're told certain things like John the Baptist saw this, he saw that, he testified to this, he, he, he gave witness to this. Those words are used, witness, testify, said, saw, all of those things, but all of them come from the same Greek word, and all of them mean to testify as in, I was actually there, I saw these things with my own eyes, and now my testimony is admissible in court. That's what John is saying when he says these things. I saw this, this is a fact, these are the details, and you can test my testimony. So the gospel writer is using words that are extraordinarily concrete for the day. 
He's not just talking about an inward impression like we felt these things. He's talking about this is what we saw. These are the eyewitness accounts. And as you read through this, it has all of the marks of an eyewitness account. For example, at one point it says these, these disciples, they go follow Jesus, and there's this really weird detail. And look again, verse 39. It says, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, um, I'm just going to geek out with you just for a moment. This is really important from a literary standpoint for us to understand. Modern fiction can use details like this. If you read a modern novel, you'll read details like the clock said 4.45 as the man stepped out of his door into the cool of the morning. You'll read that kind of detail in modern fiction. In ancient fiction, that kind of detail was never used. Never used. We, we never read that Odysseus woke up at 5 a.m. and made himself a French press before, you know. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't see those things. Those details don't happen. So everything in this passage from, and it happened the next day to, they stayed until the 10th hour, all of that speaks to this being an eyewitness account. And any reader of the day, that would have what, that's what they would have assumed. There was no category where anything fictional would have ever had those kinds of details. So the moment the reader in the first century opened this, they realized, I am reading somebody's testimony. I'm reading somebody's story of an eyewitness account. This is nonfiction, factual detail. And the way that you can come and see is the same way that they did. You can examine his life. You can hear his words. You can open up the scriptures and you can see the detail. This is John's way of saying, this isn't a legend. This isn't a rumor. This is an eyewitness account so that you can look at it and you can make an assessment. In fact, speaking to this exact same subject, um, C.S. Lewis, he wrote an essay called Modern Theology and Biblical Criticism. And speaking of this specific thing, he said, of this text, there are only two possible views. Either this is reportage or else some unknown writer in the second century without known predecessors or successors suddenly anticipated the whole technique of modern novelistic realistic narrative. If it is untrue, it must be narrative of that kind. The reader who doesn't see that has simply not learned to read. So, so this is what Lewis is saying, and this is what I'm saying. If you read this, you're going to have to come to one of two conclusions. There is no third option in this. Either a group of first century Hebrews who had been taught all of their lives that, that humans could not be God came up with this incredibly elaborate, very deliberate, conscious system of deception, wrote it up, sent it out there, then went out into the world and died for it, that they lived lives that were so compelled by love because of it that the power of their love and who they were overpowered the Roman Empire, that they did all of that for a lie. Or you have to believe that this is an eyewitness account of our creator interacting with humankind. Those are the only two options. There is no middle ground. There's no, there is no logical or scholarly way. There's no way you can be intellectually honest and land in the middle of these two explanations. If you find yourself saying, well, you know, I just think Jesus is a good teacher and I think he was a, he was a charismatic individual and... And I think people just got carried away, and so they came up with all of these stories. If you do that, even from a literary standpoint, 
From a literary standpoint, if you do that, you're actually being intellectually lazy and you're not aware of what you're reading when you're reading these accounts. So you don't have to believe it. You don't have to believe it. I'm not saying that you have to, but if you want to have intellectual integrity, you can't land in between. It isn't, it isn't someplace in between. It either is or it isn't. In fact, it's really hard to believe either one of these positions. We need to be intellectually honest right now. It's very difficult to believe either one of those. It's very difficult to believe that these first century individuals came up with a literary style that didn't exist for thousands of years and created this fictitious narrative. But it's also really difficult that, that our God creator came in the flesh to interact with humankind. Those are very difficult things to believe. Which is why Jesus says, come and see. Come examine. Examine the evidence for yourself and draw a conclusion. You have to come and see. So that's the first part of the importance of this invitation is, is the seeing. You have to see. You have to examine. You have to consider these things for yourself. The second part of this is that there's a dynamic that you're being invited to that often we, we fail to recognize. You have to be willing when you discover this to allow your life to be transformed. When Jesus says, Come and see. He's saying, leave the place you are and join me. Walk with me. Allow my life to influence your life. This, this is an invitation to follow. You're going from the place that you are to the place that he is. Jesus is not content to simply say, hey, everybody, here's who I am. Now you just believe these things in your heart about me. He says, no, I want you to follow me. Come follow me and have your life transformed by me. And when these guys, when they heard Jesus, they followed him. This is really different than, than being a fan of Jesus. Um, I'm a fan of the Trailblazers. Anyone else with me? All right. All right. We got a few. Well, I thought we'd get more support than that here, but sorry, Blazers. Win a few road games and maybe you'll have more support. I don't know, but... Uh, I'm also a Damian Lillard fan. I like Damian Lillard a lot. I love it. I love Dame time. I like it when Damian gets a hot hand. It's a pretty fun thing. Uh, I've got friends that love the Trailblazers. I was with some friends this weekend. We were hanging out, talking. We were talking Blazers. We were talking Damian Lillard. In fact, I, I think this. If Damian Lillard showed up at one of our houses for a barbecue, we would all be pretty pumped. Like, that would be a pretty cool thing, right? Because we're fans of Damian Lillard. But if Damian Lillard said, guys, I want you to move into my house, and I want you to live with me, and I want you to become my disciple, that would be a little creepy, right? <laughs> It'd be a little, I mean, the first week would probably be awesome, right? But like the third week when I'm like, damn, I'm heading out to get some milk, is that okay? Like that would be weird, right? To, to live with them, because there's a difference between being a fan and a follower. But that's the difference that Jesus is drawing us to here. We're, we're not called to be fans of Jesus. We're called to be followers of Jesus. We're, we're being transformed by Jesus. So how does that happen in your life? How does this transformation take place? Well, the last verse that I read a moment ago is, is the key. Verse 51. Let me read it again, and then I'll explain this. He's talking to Nathaniel, right? Nathaniel has had this objection about Jesus, and Jesus is now saying this to him. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, just a little textual note here. For those of you that um, maybe the, you haven't thought through this before, maybe the Bible is a really new document to you. Um, the Bible is written, this is important to remember, the Bible is written in two different languages 
and Jesus speaks a third language. So the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, and Jesus speaks, speaks Aramaic, which is an early form of Arabic. Which means this, every time we open our English Bible, we're getting some English-speaking person's translation of an ancient language into our culture. Which means this, a lot of times they miss little things here and there, or there's little parts that maybe they didn't catch the nuance, or maybe something in the culture in which they were translating it was pushed into the text because they saw it a certain way. So we have to be very careful when we're looking to sometimes stop and go, what's actually being said here? That's important here because Jesus in this verse does not say, truly, truly, I say to you. He actually says, amen, amen, I say to you. You go, well, why is that significant? Well, the word amen is never used the way that Jesus just used it here. It was used in that culture in a very similar to way, way that we use it in our culture today. In our culture, we use the word amen uh, to, to affirm something that somebody says. So if I'm doing a good job, somebody says, hey, amen, Brad, amen, we're with you, right? You kind of like get, get with me in this. It was used in a similar way in the Hebrew culture. In the synagogue where there was a teacher, when the teacher was done teaching, the elders in the synagogue would sort of think for a moment about what they had heard. They would compare that to their knowledge of the truth and their life experience. And if they were going to affirm the teaching as truth, they would collectively say, amen, after the person spoke. Here in John 1, Jesus does something that nobody dared ever to do. Jesus starts his sentence with not just one amen, but two amens, which is like an X factor. He's doubling up the power of it. He's saying, this is truth, amen, amen. And secondly, he's using it to validate himself. He's validating himself. This never happened. Amen, amen is essentially saying, you need to listen to me because what you're going to hear is the truth. And, and, and here's why this is powerful. And also, I think this is where it, this gets really challenging. This might be hard for us to hear in our hyper-individualistic, hyper-independent culture because in doing this, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I am taking away your right to decide whether or not you like my teaching. I'm taking away your right to decide like, oh, that feels good to me or, or that resonates with me or, or I don't actually like that. That makes me uncomfortable. He says, no, no, I'm, I'm taking that away from you. And here's what all of that means. If you want to believe in your heart, you want to hold some, some fond feelings in your mind and in your heart, all you have to do is believe that the Bible is reliable reporting, okay? But if you want to be a disciple, if you want to know Jesus personally, you have to be willing to lean into what he says, whether you like it or you don't like it. That's what he's saying. And I know some of you, maybe a few of you, you object to this and you say, well, wait a second, isn't that the same brand of old time, you know, moralistic, impersonal religion, like you better believe in no matter what kind of thing? Isn't that the same thing? And the answer is no, it's completely different because it's not impersonal. It's totally personal. It's a relationship with a person. So you, you can't follow Jesus unless you let him lead, which means he's going to say things to you that stretch you, that challenge you. 
If you ignore the amen, amen part, that means every time Jesus says something that you're not comfortable with, you just go, well, you know, that's not really on brand for me, Jesus. I think I'm going to kind of skip that one and go to the next thing that affirms how I feel. But when you're done with that, what kind of Jesus do you really have? You have the Jesus of your own heart's making. You have made Jesus into what you want him to be. You might say you're following Jesus, but you're really following yourself. If you have a relationship with a person, a real relationship with a real person, you're going to disagree. If you tell me you have a relationship with somebody and you say, well, this person, we never disagree, we never fight, we always get along, you know what I'm gonna challenge? I'm going to challenge the notion that that's a real relationship. Are you with me on this? Those of you that are married, can you just like affirm this with me, right? Like, like you're going to disagree. Oh, my closest friends, my wife, people that I get along great with, guess what? We disagree. We challenge each other. We object to certain things in our lives. That's what real relationships look like. And the same is true with Jesus. That's the nature of a real relationship. Jesus says, listen, if you want a real relationship with a real God, not some figment of your own heart's imagination, not some, not some primitive moralism, not some vague spirituality, a real relationship, then you have to take me at my word. That's what he says. He says, let me transform your life. Let me tell you things that you need to hear. Let me tell you what your heart really wants. Come and see. Come and see these two elements, two parts. He wants us to see. He wants us to examine. He wants us to look for ourselves. And he wants us to move towards him relationally. That's what he's inviting us to. And, and here's what I love, and I'll close with this. I love this because I think in seeing what I'm about to describe and just seeing this this way, in this particular way, I think it debunks some of the mythology that surrounds Jesus and, and especially the church. Um, when I picture these moments, when I picture Jesus fielding questions from these interested but skeptical men, I just imagine Jesus with a wry smile on his face as he invites them to come and see. Oh, you want to you know about me? You have questions about who I am? He doesn't pull out his resume or his CV. He doesn't do that. He doesn't respond incredulously. He's not the slightest bit defensive. He just says, just come, come and see. Come and see. Come see for yourself. Jesus is a gentleman, but Jesus also knows when you see me for who I really am, it will lead to you believing. So, so I, understand, I understand when people get frustrated with Christians, when people get frustrated with the church, when people get frustrated with religion. I think Jesus understands that frustration. But so far in my life, the instances are few and far between where I have watched somebody take a real, genuine, good, hard look at the person of Jesus and not come back with a smile on their face saying, I want to get to know him. Jesus knew what these guys were about to see. And there's nothing like him. There is no one that breathes more life into lifeless situations. There's no one that turns mourning into dancing or water into wine or meaning into the mundane or, or, or anything that Jesus does. There's no one that does it like him. Which is exactly why these guys run and tell their friends. They run and tell their friends. They can't help but tell others so that their lives can be touched too. Which, by the way, I'll just 
close with this. All of this Jesus stuff is why I love the church. When the church is focused on Jesus, and when people are experiencing him, not, not programs, not just attending services, but when we collectively are experiencing Jesus and we're living like Jesus in our city, there is nothing like it in the world. So today, no matter where you come from, what your background is, the invitation is simple and the invitation is clear. Jesus just says, come see for yourself. Come see for yourself. Amen? Would you pray with me? I want to take a moment and I, and I, want, to, I want to just, I want to pause and I want to give you a chance to ingest this, to take this in. And for those of us in the room that maybe we've been around church a while, maybe, uh, maybe you tend to land a little more on the religious side of things. The invitation, I think, is twofold. I think that Jesus is saying, would you just, would you come and see me? Maybe you've been circling around this church thing so long that your eyes have been lifted and you just have stopped seeing Jesus for who Jesus is. And, and it's an invitation to to refocus, and, and, and at the same time, maybe it's an invitation or an opportunity to give up trying to defend Jesus and just simply show him to others with the way you live. And others of you, maybe you've been on the irreligious end of the spectrum. Maybe you're interested in spirituality and your exploration of Jesus is a new thing. I truly believe this is an invitation that Jesus is offering you to have a savior, to follow somebody who isn't yourself, to find truth that isn't found in you, but that is found outside of you and how you feel. Lord, we thank you for opening our eyes to who you are. I pray that you'd refresh us I pray that even through the course of this series, through the course of this season that we find ourselves in, that as we look at you having conversations with the men and women you spoke with on this planet, Lord, that we would find ourselves captivated by you. And that as we focus our attention on you, all of those meaningless things that are around us would fade and that our lives would be filled with the joy and the abundance that you promise when we offer ourselves our lives to you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Couple of, couple of quick things before you go. Uh, our elders are always in the room to pray with. If you have questions about following Jesus, they're wearing lanyards. If you want to pray with somebody, if you have, need advice on something, they're here for you. I just I want to always make sure I mention that. The other thing is, um, every week we're doing some fun stuff through the Christmas season. Invite a neighbor, invite a friend to the services. This morning there's a jazz quartet out there. They're unreal and they're unbelievable. It's like amazing. Um, next week is donuts. So jazz one week, donuts the next week. How much better can it get than that? Uh, but on Thursday night, for those of you that want to come Thursday, maybe you don't know this, but Thursday, we actually start our weekend services on Thursday night with the same service then. And Thursday night, we're actually having a donut truck that's showing up. And uh, yeah, woo, got some people excited about that. All my high school friends are going to be there for Thursday night. I love it. 
They're going to be here Thursday and Sunday. But uh, some donuts next week, it's going to be a really great time. But uh, let me offer this benediction to you before you go. May you be men and women who have the curiosity to truly investigate Jesus. And may you have the courage to allow him to change your life. May you respond to his invitation of come and see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys so much. Thanks for being here today. Have an amazing, amazing rest of your day, and we'll see you guys next week. See you later.